Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that college and NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Now, GameTime is a brand new app that tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And if sports aren't your thing, GameTime still has you covered with the best concert and theater ticket deals on the market. Also, paying cannot be more easy with a simple two-tap process right from your mobile device. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So head to the App Store or the Play Store right now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. This is the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke. He's Dane Brugler. We got Kent Garrison uh, producing for us. And uh, Dane, when we talked last week about possible upsets uh, in the college football weekend, uh, I don't think we even brought up Illinois, Wisconsin. Uh, so I don't know if that one was on your radar at all. But it, we kind of mentioned those those weekends um, where it doesn't look like there's a ton of great games sometimes sneak up on you and uh illinois certainly snuck up on everyone i think well all of us including wisconsin apparently was looking forward to that uh ohio state wisconsin matchup this coming saturday and ohio state took care of their business friday night chase young looked uh, ridiculous as usual and the offense was humming with jk dobbins and justin fields but and you assumed that wisconsin would do the same uh against illinois but yeah they just uh you know i I, I don't know if they just they, they simply overlooked him and you know Zach Bond the talented linebacker who's been one of their best seniors this year um, probably going to be their second highest draft pick behind Jonathan Taylor um, I mean he came out and basically said that that you know we we didn't have the same intensity this week that you know maybe we were looking a little bit ahead and all that so it's unfortunate because it, it does take a little bit of luster off uh, this Ohio State Wisconsin matchup on Saturday but still will be a should be a competitive game, uh, even though what would happen. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's just when you uh, don't or you think it might be a sleepy weekend, uh, uh, one of these games come comes up and uh, surprises us. It was a big boost for uh, South Dakota State, right? Getting game day now because the Wisconsin Ohio <laughs> State game fell apart. So game day heads up uh, for North Dakota State, South Dakota State. That'll be kind of cool. Yeah, I imagine that quite a few uh, plans were changed. I had game day, not going to Columbus anymore, <laughs> right. and um, you know my 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 brother is actually a senior at Ohio State, uh, and so I, my dad is going to a game with him. He doesn't go to a lot of games, but uh, he promised him he'd go to a game here, and uh, so they I know they were looking forward to it. And I, they still are, but uh, you know because it still should be a good game. It's, Ohio State still has to find a way to stop Jonathan Taylor, and it's still a good defense uh, that is going to test that Ohio State offense. But yeah, still a little bit uh, not quite a, a, like we thought. Uh, but I think the other games last week, you know, a lot of what we thought would happen did happen. Uh, Penn, Penn State was able to take care of Michigan. Uh, it was obviously close, like those games usually end up being. Um, you know, with Michigan had a shot at the end, but 
Penn State was able to hold them off. Um, LSU and Florida matchup uh, was, uh, you know, it was it was competitive back and forth, but uh, you know, it was more of a three quarter game, and LSU was able to pull away uh, towards the end. So I, I think besides that Wisconsin game, I think pretty much what happened is what we expected to happen. Yeah, I was close to calling the BYU over Boise update upset, and I bailed on it, and I feel like I. I have some regrets now that, that one happened, but uh, we, that was on our, we talked about our, our preview for the weekend's always set up on our Thursday show, which is for athletic.com subscribers only. So if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you get over to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off a subscription, which gets you access to all our podcasts and everything on our site, um, including, which sort of uh, uh, segues us into one of those games, including Dane's uh, latest post, which resets the quarterback rankings for the 2020 draft. Had a big matchup in Oregon-Washington, which was one of the better games of the weekend for sure. An impressive comeback uh, for Oregon there. Um, And also news up top with uh, Tua going out with that ankle injury in Alabama. Sounds like he's going to miss one. If he misses two, (laughs) it gets a little interesting uh, for Alabama. So... Um, I, I, let's start with Oregon, Washington. We can come back on Tua here, but, uh, again, big comeback for Oregon in a tough environment. Washington looked like they sort of had that game kind of by the throat and Oregon came back and stole it. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, I'm sure that's a, a check mark in Justin Herbert's column, uh, that he was able to help lead that comeback. What'd you think about how he played? And then on the other side, how, uh, Jacob Eason played. I didn't think it was a great game for Herbert. It was was basically kind of what we've seen all year uh, where, you know, he'd still have some frustrating misses, whether he'd sail one or ground one. um, But then he'd have a few impressive throws where it makes you go, okay, yep, that's why he's being talked about as a possible top 10 pick. Um, You know, he, on throws of 20 plus yards, he was two of eight. Uh, He just, he wasn't. All that, and that doesn't include throwaways, anything like that. So throws that traveled more than 20 yards in the air, he was two of eight against Washington. And just, it wasn't a great performance by him, but kind of like what you were referring to. I mean, he deserves credit for staying the course and you know helping lead that comeback. Um, so absolutely deserves credit for that. But I thought Jacob Eason outplayed him in a lot of categories with the way he played for the Huskies uh, on throws of 20 plus yards downfield. He was three of three. And that included a touchdown and 95 yards. So uh, he was much more impressive uh, as a downfield passer. Um, now, I think Washington really relied on the run game quite a bit. And that that helped the passing game. Um, and, and Oregon did the same thing. Uh, you know, they Both teams looked to establish the run and, and open up things uh, with the pass. Um, but with... And it's it's just tough when you have these two quarterbacks because they they both leave you wanting a little bit more. Um, and I think with Jacob Eason, the sample size is still uh, very small. I mean, obviously he played as a freshman uh, at Georgia, but the last two years we didn't see him. And then this year through eight games, it's been mostly good, but still there are questions question marks with him and with Justin Herbert. I think if you, I just don't know that the needle's been moved much at all. If you came into the season loving Justin Herbert and his potential and what he's going to be in the NFL, then I still think you feel that way. If you came into the season thinking that, uh, you know, he's, there's some question marks there and you're just, you're not sure, uh, I still think you have those questions. And so it it really is, uh, it makes it tough. And I think going back to my quarterback rankings, 
I think there's a clear one too. And I think it's Tua and I think it's Joe Burrow. And, you know, we'll talk about more about those two guys here in a second. But and that, that brings me to the second night used tier system to really break these rankings up. So there's the top tier. And then I think there's a second tier. And the second tier, I think you have three really toolsy quarterbacks who have a lot of the physical traits you want. Uh, but there's still question marks there. Uh, and that's Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, and Jacob Eason. And it was. It was easier one one and two were easier than I than three four and five were in terms of uh, breaking them up and determining you know the pecking order of those guys. I went Jordan Love three, Justin Herbert four, Jacob Eason five. Even though I thought Eason played better on Saturday, um, but it's it, it, it's I think it's really splitting hairs because again we're talking about more potential than production right now uh, for Joe Burrow and uh, Tua. I think they're just they're more natural passers. They're more in control of the offense. And while Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason, they, they show flashes of that, we just don't see it on a consistent basis. So um, Jacob Eason, uh, the reason I put him five and not four or not flipped with Justin Herbert, uh, I, I just worry about him under pressure. Um, he's not a statue back there, but he's not the most fleet of foot athlete and doesn't necessarily buy those second chance throws consistently. And in, in the NFL, you're going to see pressure. You have to play uh, outside of structure on a consistent basis. And I'm not sure I've seen enough of that yet from Jacob Eason to necessarily have him leapfrog uh, Herbert. Uh, but again, Herbert remains more about production uh, or more about potential than necessarily uh, being a natural passer. And maybe he'll reach that in the NFL when he gets an NFL uh, in an NFL offense with NFL coaching. Maybe that'll be kind of the, the final bridge to getting him to being that more natural quarterback where he's anticipating uh, throws and he's being more consistent downfield. But right now with what we know, I just don't think he's there yet. So it's uh, just definitely makes for some interesting conversation with these quarterback rankings. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm definitely interested to hear you say that, you know, you were maybe considering flipping four and five and putting Eason over Herbert, because I actually was going to ask you how close Herbert was to getting over Jordan Love at three. And it sort of goes back to uh, what you were saying. Like, we've been talking about these same things with these quarterbacks all year, and some of it comes back to what do you see, but also, like, are you able to find the things you want to see? And I think if you go back with Justin Herbert, like you mentioned the pressure with Jacob Eason, I think there, even Saturday, there were some really nice plays Justin Herbert made when the pocket kind of broke down. There was a third down play in the fourth quarter when they were still behind when uh, he sort of pump faked and dodged an edge guy and then made a throw over the middle to move the sticks. And he makes some of those plays. And I think if you go back and look and, you know, you can find examples where he's he's really good, not only off using play action to kind of freeze the second and third level guys. But I think he does a nice job at times uh, kind of manipulating the safeties with his eyes and and being able to hit those shots either up the seam or, or down the sideline. But A, we haven't seen it consistently enough, like you said. And B, as we've talked about all year, there just haven't been a ton of opportunities. I mean, this one with eight throws uh, of 20 plus yards, that, that's – I don't have it sitting here, but I would venture that that's probably on the high end for what Oregon's done a lot of these games this year. Right. Uh, and we've seen a lot of the short throws. You know, they had the fourth down touchdown uh, that that brought them back into the game. That was just, you know, it was a play fake and it was a screen pass. And, you know, the guy ran 40 yards with it. And that they've had a lot of those plays sort of after the catch. But um, like I said, for me, I... I I wasn't surprised because we talked about Jordan Love. I wasn't surprised to see him at three, but I, I, my question was going to be, why isn't 
Herbert above Love. And uh, so I was kind of interested to hear you take it the other way and say, well, he was almost five, but um, maybe maybe you can answer that. I mean, what is it? Because uh, Jordan Love's a potential guy too, right? I mean, we're it's not like yep. we've seen a ton of things on tape that are have hammered home that there's a consistency of these traits that we're talking about. I mean, it's been some of the same discussion. Like you can see the flashes, but it it's not all there. So I guess why at this point do you think the flashes from him or the potential from him is just a step above where it is for Justin Herbert? And I really think that three, four, and five were the toughest to discern. And, you know, it, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just four or five. It, it really was three, four, and five, Jordan Love included, um, because he's he's so talented, uh, but he's so raw. And his he, he will make throws that just make him go, wow. And he, he has natural touch. I think he has some natural accuracy to him. He's so loose as a passer, uh, effortless velocity. And a lot of that you could say about Herbert as well. The thing with Herbert is I think he's, he's a really smart guy, really sharp uh, and really intelligent, both on and off the field. But the more he has to think, it's like the more hesitant he gets. When he's able to play loose and just, you know, go out there and play natural and just sling it, he seems to be better off. But when he starts to really think about it and, you know, it's kind of like he's constantly second guessing himself. And I think that's something that he gets into his own head. And that that really that that's I mean we're trying to psychoanalyze these these quarterbacks, but that that's kind of what I see when I watch Justin Herbert. Um, and I'll be interested to see if I if, if that kind of backs up when you know we eventually get the tape of this game and not just the broadcast copy. But that's kind of what I see with him. Where with Jordan Love, I just think it's more of a product of he doesn't have the talent around him. I mean, he's playing, there's so many drops. The game Saturday night against Nevada was just a drop fest. Uh, his guys are not helping him out. Um, he does not have NFL talent around him on the offensive line. Uh, I mean, Gerald Bright is running back. is going to have a shot at the NFL, but he doesn't necessarily have the talent around him. That makes you, uh, you know, that it takes a little bit of pressure off of him because he's just, he's making throws. It's just not working out. And so, I believe right now I believe a little bit more in the raw talent of love than I do with Herbert and it, it, but it's close. I mean, three, four and five, I think we're talking about really potential guys and that could change between now and April. And I and made sure I mentioned this in the first paragraph in my, in that quarterback story that we do not and we've we've said this over and over there's no consensus quarterback number one quarterback there are going to be split opinions uh with from everybody whether it's Tua and Herbert and Love and Burrow is in that conversation it's just opinions are all over the place and I relied on uh probably about half a dozen of my closest uh, guys in the NFL uh talent evaluators scouting directors, scouts, um, and just people in the industry that I really trust. And I got their feedback on how I saw these quarterbacks. And some of them, some of them agreed. Some of them disagreed with, you know, but for the most part, they saw it similar in terms of the one-two. Uh, and then and that's when you start talking about the guys with potential and all that. Some some thought love was over. They had love over Herbert and Eason. Some had Herbert over love. And, you know, I get that totally. Uh, but I was surprised the number of people uh, that agreed with me when they said it's it's two and Burrow at the top. And, uh, you know, we have these two SEC quarterbacks who have just been uh, the best of the group so far. And Burrow's definitely been the most surprising. And I put out the question uh, that, you know, 
has there ever, and we talked about this before, has there been a Burrow before where uh, he played as a mid-rounder as a junior, comes back as a senior, and um, is is in the top 10 conversation, maybe number one overall conversation. And uh, I got a few interesting answers. I think I'll probably do a piece here at some point in the next few weeks where I I actually uh, post those answers. Um, But, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, that – the name Baker Mayfield comes up, but even, you know, cause I think national or Blesto, one of the scouting services had him as a fifth rounder coming into a senior year, but the most more, more uh, most of the teams I talked to had him more as a, a day two pick. And he was able to, and, but I don't even think with Mayfield, it was necessarily, uh, he got that much better. He just, you know, it was more of a misevaluation from teams because he wasn't necessarily, he didn't check all the boxes, but he's been able to, uh, you know, work past that. But I don't think he necessarily showed that improvement junior year to senior year, like we've seen from Joe Burrow, who again yeah. was lights out on Saturday against Mississippi State at the LSU single season touchdown record. Um, you know, <laughs> we, we we saw a little bit more of Joe Burrow than we wanted to uh, in that game, but uh, it was a, it was a good performance by him. Single season touchdown record, and we're in the third week of October. <laughs> we're not the <to laughs> fourth week of October. Yeah, exactly, it's crazy. Um, and yeah, like you said, he had four touchdowns there. They've got Auburn coming up, uh, then that huge showdown with, uh, Alabama. So, um, <laughs> not only are we talking about him, this crazy rise, but he has two good games there. This might be your Heisman winner. Like, I think he's mm-hmm. got that opportunity too. I mean, he might be the leader in the clubhouse right now, especially if, if Tua misses some time and that sort of flips us up to the top of this board where you have Tua Tonga Vailoa. And then Joe Burrow won two, as you sort of hinted. And um, it, it doesn't sound like you're ready to make the leap. I've seen some other people make the leap on Joe Burrow to one. You still have Tua hanging in there. I guess I'm curious how the the ankle injury maybe impacts you. This is now, yeah. I, I mean, it's fluky, I guess, but this is twice in a few months that we're talking about an ankle injury with, with Tua. And certainly health and all that comes into the evaluation too. So, um, I mean, it's a big... It's a big point in Alabama's season if he uh, they should be fine against Arkansas, you would think, but then they have the bye and then that huge showdown with LSU and it's uh, you know, kind of TBD whether he's going to be available for that game. They're making it sound like he will, but we know these high ankle sprains and can linger uh, for a while. So, um just uh, short and long term here, sort of what's your reaction to what's going on there? Yeah, and Tua had a procedure done uh, on Sunday, and you know, I mean, you set it up. It's going to be really interesting to see not only if he plays, which I think we expect he will, but what kind of shape will it be in? I mean, we saw last year when he was kind of working back from that the knee and the lower body injuries. Um, he just he did not look right in the game against Georgia in the SEC title game, and. Uh, you know, they, they had to bring in Jalen Hurts off the bench in relief to win that football game. And, um, you know, with, uh, with Tua, I mean, he, he has said that he didn't feel healthy until May. Uh, so, I mean, he played hurt, uh, against Oklahoma and then a national title game against Clemson and it it showed, It, it took a little bit away from him. And so definitely eager to see him against LSU. Is he able to, uh, you know, pull out a win if he's still not a hundred percent or, is this a quarterback who, if he's not 100%, he's not nearly the same quarterback that we're used to seeing week in and week out. And he's done a better job this year of not taking hits, not playing hero ball, uh, not holding the ball too long and, and making, uh, you know, getting, taking those, that extra contact. The, the uh, ankle sprain happened on more of a, 
you know, he was just scrambling outside the pocket. He got tackled from behind and just, yeah, like you said, one of those fluky things. But if this is a quarterback who is not able, if he has to be 100% or near 100% to be, to play at a high level and there's a huge drop off if he's not, that's going to be a problem for a lot of teams uh, because in the NFL, you're just, you're rarely 100% healthy. Uh, You're going to take some hits and you have to be able to bounce back. And even if you're not 100%, you have to play close to that at a high level and give your team a chance to win. So uh, if Joe Burrow is able to go to Tuscaloosa and outplay Tua uh, on that stage uh, on the road like that, and, you know, I I don't, we will be able to use the excuse that, oh, well, Tua wasn't fully healthy. But when you talk about from evaluation purposes, and, and that, that might save Alabama when you talk about the, making it to the playoff and maybe the Heisman conversation and all that. But when we talk about the evaluation uh, from a draft perspective in the NFL, that's something that could potentially move Burrow ahead of Tua in a lot of teams' eyes because that durability factor is something that matters. And Tua's, he's not the biggest guy. He's six foot even, and he's probably about 220 pounds. Um, you know, he's not a small guy. Uh, but he's he's not the biggest guy. And so uh, Joe Burrow's taken his share of hits so far this year. He's gotten back up, and you've seen the toughness that he's been able to show uh, playing through some bumps and bruises. If Tua's not able to do that in a couple weeks uh, against LSU, there, there's there's a lot riding on the line in that game, not just uh, you know playoff implications, not just SEC West and the SEC t- uh, title game, but also it, it could be an audition for who's going to be the first quarterback drafted in april yeah and when we talk about you know how there's not going to be a consensus i think that's a huge part of this there are still are going to be teams that would prefer the six three six four you know burrows i guess you call him a pocket quarterback he's certainly a guy who can get out and make some plays with his feet we've seen him do that but you know more of the traditional type quarterback than this two is at six even and you've got him six even 219 and he's a guy who likes to run around and create a lot like there's certain front offices that aren't going to want anything to do with that just for that you know the perceived durability issues or you know making sure that a guy can withstand nfl hits and whether it's fair or not to quarterbacks of that stature there's absolutely a faction of nfl thinkers that believe that you need that guy who's sort of the classic mm-hmm. size and and stature so well, where are that, you right that now? is a huge part Based on what you've seen, is there a clear number one for you right now of these quarterbacks? If you were running a team, you needed a quarterback, <laughs> and the draft was this afternoon. Is it? Would you feel 100% confident about uh, one of these quarterbacks? I mean, I still, I think I'm still with you that I, I still like Tua, and we've talked about some of the reasons why before. Like, it's not just the athleticism. I think he's a really good passing quarterback, and I think mm-hmm. that kind of gets overlooked sometimes. I think uh, we might have been the first or second show we did. We talked about just how uh, his accuracy is really impressive, and we've kind of hit on that over and over again. Like, he's hitting these guys in stride. He's putting balls into tight windows, and I think that that still stands out for me. But um, – you know, kind of admittedly, like it, it's almost like we're playing catch up on Joe Burrow because this wasn't we weren't talking about him in this way even a few weeks ago, and now you're sort of comparing uh, X's and O's here and saying, well, maybe he is, maybe he does have some of these things you're looking for in a number one guy. And I think, like you said, he's clearly come up into that discussion and looks better than the rest of the guys behind him. And I think that's the other thing I, you know, I just sort of wanted to toss out here real quick is. I, there, you said there's a drop off from two to three, which is right now you've got it, Burrow, and then that group of Love, Herbert, 
uh, and Eason. And it looks like there's another drop off from two, the second tier to the third tier where you've got Jalen Hurts and then Jake Fromm. Uh, and then a really big drop off to Nate Stanley and some of those other guys. I mean, yeah. it seems like this is going to be a year where it's going to be tough for if there's six or seven or eight teams looking for a quarterback that can play fairly early. It looks like it's going to be tough. I mean, it looks like teams are going to have to get really high in this draft to take someone they feel comfortable with at this point. I mean, is there anyone maybe beyond that second tier that you think could rise, even if he's not in this quarterback <laughs> ranking so far, you've got nine guys listed here. They're someone in that bottom three or four names or someone off the board at the moment that you've got an eye on that maybe surprises over the last month and a half here. Well, I, I think that Jake Fromm is the interesting one because he, and I, that third tier um, is one that, and I labeled each one of these tiers. I think each one kind of had a theme uh, the first tier of Tua and Burrow were the the seasoned passers ready to lead an offense. The second tier were the toolsy quarterbacks with all the traits and potential. Then that third tier, it, they're outside the box, but wired right quarterbacks who are really going to challenge evaluators. And what I mean by that is guys that are missing one or two things or just they make you take a leap of faith. Uh, and I think when you talk about Jake Fromm and Jalen Hurts, that's exactly what you have because with Fromm, he checks, the, and we've talked about this, checks the first two boxes, uh, the accuracy, the, the mental processing, has both those things really well. He knows exactly what to do with the football. He's not surprised, rarely surprised by anything. Um, and But he's not a big, strong-arm passer who, I mean, he's just very average across the board, aside from the intangibles, the mental processing, the accuracy. And so it's up to evaluators to determine, okay, in our offense, with our offensive coordinator, our play caller, uh, our the way our offense is set up, uh, if we inserted a Jake Fromm in there, how would how would that play? Can he help us win games? And, you know, if, if you think that that's true, then he's, you're going to be, he's going to be higher on your board than he is for other teams who don't think he is a natural fit. And so, and the way I put it is Jake Fromm is somewhere on the spectrum between Drew Brees and Case Keenum. I think he's somewhere in between those two guys and teams have to determine, is he closer to Drew Brees or is he closer to a Case Keenum? Uh, and that's what the hard thing is going to be to determine between now and the draft. And that's assuming he comes out. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if Jake Fromm is, you know, the kind of like a Justin Herbert where he's uh, decided, you know, he just loves college, wants to go back, have, you know, and enjoy it, uh, that type of thing. Uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if we see Jake Fromm not be part of this draft class. Uh, but And then with Jalen Hurts being the other guy in that tier who – it's just it's hard, I mean, and I've debated Jalen Hurts a lot with with fans, uh, just talking about how he should be higher or this and that. And, you know, the his uh, just the the dual threat ability that he brings to the field is something that the NFL is moving towards. When you look at Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson and these guys, and I get it, I'm not disagreeing with that. But with Jalen Hurts, I, the toughest opponent we've seen him play this year is Texas, and. He took a little bit of a step back in this game. I mean, he threw for, I think, like 56% completions in that game. He had two crucial turnovers. Um, and it's just, I, I I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but I need to I, he needs to prove it to me before I'm on board with him as being a 
a guy that I would consider in the first round or the top 40 picks or as a guy that I think can be uh, the starter of my franchise. I think there's there's a lot to like there. He's definitely a guy that's uh, – but it's, it's wait, wait and see mode right now. I want to see – and I don't know if we're necessarily going to see him this year uh, You know, against the rest of the Big 12. I mean, maybe – Maybe Baylor would be able to give more of a, a contest in terms of what they bring on defense, um, but you know we might not see it until or we might not have a better idea until the Senior Bowl. Hopefully, he's at in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, so we can have a better idea of of Hertz and you know whether he can be that natural downfield passer that uh, he's shown flashes of, but just the consistency is not there, and I don't think the sample size there against a top-tier uh, defensive opponent. So really makes it tough with 6-7, and seven, Fromm and Hurts. Lots of reasons to like him, but there's still, it's going to take a leap of faith, at least at this point, to put him any higher. We mentioned Baylor, uh, which is up to number 14 in the country. It's kind of crazy, uh, given where that program was uh, you know, a couple years yeah. ago. And then uh, Southern Methodist, SMU's at 16. Minnesota's at 17, App State's at 21, all still undefeated. I know you mentioned a guy from App State uh, you kind of had an eye on when we were previewing this past weekend, but uh, certainly some draftable prospects on some of those teams. I mean, Tyler Johnson's the one for me up in Big Ten country here that kind of stands out from Minnesota. Um, sort of dabbled with the idea of going pro at the end of last year and went back, but he's been uh, a playmaker for them for a couple years. Um, you know, Jamichael Hasty feels like he's been at Baylor forever, but he yeah. is uh, kind of an interesting running back. Uh, had a good game for them. Uh, any guys on those those rosters that uh, that people should should know about? I mentioned last week uh, the linebacker for App State, um, Akeem Davis Gaither, who is number twenty four. Really speedy guy. Uh, he's undersized. I mean, he's probably two hundred and fifteen, two hundred eighteen pounds. But he's a legit mid four fives athlete. Uh, really long arms. Uh, there's just so much you can do with him. Uh, really over aggressive with how he plays. But if you could harness that, dial it back, um, get him to play more disciplined. Uh, you have a guy that's uh, he might be the third round version of Isaiah Simmons. You know, the talented Clemson do it all linebacker who's going to go in the top fifteen, top twenty picks. Uh, Davis Gaither might be the third round version of that. Uh, so, but he's a potential top one hundred guy. Uh, that I think fans need to know about um, at, at Baylor. I don't. They don't. It's a younger team. Um, you know, I don't think they necessarily have a lot of draftable seniors. Denzel Mims, a wide receiver, is uh, certainly draftable. He's in the mid round conversation, trying to get in the top one hundred. Uh, six two and a half, two ten. Uh, good speed, high four fours, low four fives. Um, there, there's a lot you can do with him down the field. So I think he's. Uh, he's in that mix. Uh, you mentioned Hasty. Uh, he's a late rounder, PFA, uh, trying to prove he's draftable. Uh, he's he's short. He's under. He's right around five eight, but he's not small. He, he's he, he's got some thickness to him. He's you know for five eight, he's a he's a firm two oh eight two ten. Um, and, and he's got some speed to him as well. And they've got some guys on defense. Uh, the linebackers, Lintz and Johnston. Uh, both those guys are potential draft picks maybe in the late round conversation. So I don't think they have any necessarily stars uh, at Baylor, but they definitely have some guys that are going to have a shot at the NFL. And then you mentioned SMU and we talked about Proch, um, the, the really talented wide receiver, him and Roberson, Reggie Roberson, who uh, went yeah. off uh, last week uh, in Dallas. Uh, SMU's got a big game coming up here this week uh, against Houston, kind of the battle, the battle of North uh, Texas and South 
Texas, Dallas, and Houston should be a lot of fun uh, to see. And uh, Bouchelle, the Texas transfer, I tell yeah. you what, he's he's playing himself into. I, I mean, I believe he's technically a redshirt junior since he transferred uh, from Texas, and so I mean, you know, we'll have another year to should have another year to evaluate him. Uh, but you know, approach is a guy who doesn't have the size, about five ten and a half, hundred ninety five pounds. But he's he's very dynamic with his routes. Um, I'm, I'm not sure he's gonna. I mean, he's probably gonna run four five zero around there. But he's 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 faster in his routes because he's able to mix up his gears, uh, burst off his plant foot, and create a little bit of separation. So uh, and he's got really strong hands uh, for a guy who he's not a big guy. He's got smaller hands, but he's really reliable at the catch points. So those definitely some some names to know. And we talk about some of these. Uh, and another another guy I do want to mention, um, a group of five guy, not uh, Louisiana Lafayette's not undefeated, but they're a pretty good team, really good run game. Uh, but their right tackle has gotten a lot of buzz when you talk with uh, scouts and guys behind the scenes. Um, Hunt, uh, the right tackle, he, he's uh, Robert Hunt. Really, he's more of a guard prospect at the next level. But he's the nastiest dude in college football. I mean, he looks to strike with his hands, look to bury you to the ground. He's had a really good year and popped off the tape and uh, really turned heads with what he's done. So he might have gone from a PFA to maybe in the mid-round discussion. So Hunt, the right tackle for uh, Louisiana Lafayette, definitely another name to to mark down uh, as a player to watch. Uh, Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Bouchelle. I was going to ask you about him. Uh, SMU's got... Uh, the Thursday nighter this week at Houston and the NFL Thursday nighter, I believe is uh, Vikings Redskins. So hmm. you might want to spin over and watch some college football at some point uh, Thursday Keenum, night. Uh, revenge game. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Case Keenum. Never know. Yeah. The uh, man, Kirk Cousins put on a show up here in Detroit on Sunday. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And d- did want to talk for a minute here about uh, the NFL. you got another post up. On the athletic this week, uh, the top ten ranking the top ten NFL teams getting the most out of their rookie classes. Um, you've got Jacksonville and the Giants up at the top of that list, uh, and then I don't. Washington's in there at six, even though you know you mentioned Dwayne Haskins has been kind of a non-factor this year, but they have had a couple other guys hit already, um, and some interesting names on this list. Houston down at ten, uh, Oakland at nine. We've talked about what they've gotten from Josh Jacobs, but it hasn't been. Um, just him, Foster Moreau, you know, Max Crosby had a sack Aaron Rodgers on Sunday. Um, uh, any other names on here that, that people, that I guess maybe we haven't talked about that much, that people should be uh, aware of how they're playing so far in, in 2019? Yeah, and this was a tough post because it's so subjective. Um, I mean, and when it comes to the comments on The Athletic, I usually... I usually try to read them all because a lot of times, uh, you know, there's, there's good debate and I, I really enjoy the back and forth. There's good questions. People make good points. But on something like this, it, there's just it's I have no problem if people disagree uh, because something like this is so because it's not only, you know, quantity, you know, like if there's certain teams that have gotten a lot out of five of their rookies so far. But how do you rank that compared to, say, like the 49ers who have you know, when you have like Nick Bosa, who's been just sure. easily the best rookie, when you talk about his impact, how do you weigh that? And so when you try to rank them, I, I you know, I have no problem with anybody that disagreed with these rankings. Um, but yeah, you, I, the Raiders are a great example. Three first round picks. Cleveland Farrell has not played well. Uh, Jonathan Abram, the 
third first round pick, uh, got hurt in the opener, gone for the year. Uh, but then Josh Jacobs, he's been such a such a dude that I had to include the Raiders on here because of what he's meant to that team. You take Josh Jacobs off that off that team, and the Raiders, you know, you take some wins away from uh, their record, and uh, you know they're they're not nearly the same team. Um, and like you mentioned, they've got some um, production of their later round guy, or the mid round guys, a couple fourth rounders with Crosby and Moreau. Um, I think the Panthers, they definitely earned their spot on there. Um, and it's really been two guys on defense, two guys on offense. Brian Burns, of course, um, if not for Josh Allen and Nick Bosa, who are both having terrific years, we'd be talking a lot more about Brian Burns and what he's done as a pass rusher. Uh, but then on, on offense, two offensive tackles with Dennis Daly, a sixth rounder, and then Greg Little, a second rounder. When they've played, uh, you know, I think they've, you know, they've looked like rookies, but they've played, you, you've seen them get better and they've held up and they've, you know, held their own. So I think the Panthers earned their way on there. Um, you know, the Redskins, yeah, Dwayne Haskins has really hasn't been a factor. But when you look at what they've got out of Terry McLaurin, how impactful he's been for that offense and that team. Uh, Montez Sweat starting to come on uh, with the more reps that he gets. Um, so I think, yeah, the Redskins definitely on there. And then the Arizona Cardinals, having the number one overall pick, obviously, and they're a young team, they're going to play a lot of rookies. But they literally have the number one and number two rookies in the NFL in terms of snaps played. Kyler Murray uh, with the most, and then Byron Murphy, their their next pick, their first pick in the second round. Uh, he's played the most, uh, second most snaps in the NFL among rookies, the most among any defensive player. And so not only are they producing in terms of what they're giving uh, the Cardinals in terms of snaps, but they've also been productive um, in the stat sheet with, uh, and you see Kyler Murray get, he seems to get better week in, week out. Uh Maybe doesn't have a lot of the splash plays yet, but he's being consistent and he's learning and he's getting better. And so obviously that's a big factor for uh, Arizona and where where that team's headed. Uh, Green Bay was number three for me, mostly because of Darnell Savage and Jenkins, a left guard. What those two players have meant, even though Savage has been hurt uh, in the last few weeks. And so that does that does hurt them. Uh, Rashawn Gary, hopefully the, for the Packers sake, they get more out of him over the second half of the season. Um, and then the Giants, uh, too. And I don't think you can really debate with Jaguars, number one, uh, in my opinion. With Gardner Minshew, a six-rounder, what he's meant to that team, um, you know, keeping the Jaguars afloat. Um, and it's he's been far from perfect. I mean, he, but he hasn't played like a six-rounder either. He's, he And he's forcing Jaguars fans and analysts to have the debate. Okay, well, after the season, are the Jaguars in the market for a quarterback? Uh, or do they have one on the roster already? I mean, with Foles, as much money as they're paying them uh, or him, or what are they going to do with him? Because Minshew, how can you bench him? Uh, so I, I think he's done enough to this point to uh, be in that conversation. But then you also factor in Josh Allen, what he's meant to that defense. Has he's better than he's been better than Ngakwe? He's been you know really if not for Bosa, Josh Allen I think might be the defensive rookie of the year favorite. Uh, and then Juwan Taylor, their second rounder. They've inserted him at right tackle, and he's done a really nice job. So to me, in terms of the most impactful rookie classes, I think the Jaguars easily have been the top top team so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, Ngakwe is a guy maybe we keep an eye on here in the next week with the trade deadline coming trade up. Trade deadline, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. I got I got to get a chance to see the Giants up close and personal when they come play the Lions on Sunday. And like you said, some of this is, you know, Daniel Jones obviously is uh, – is starting he's had a couple big moments it has it's been up and down as we sort of expected but just the volume of guys on that defense and unfortunately they lost ryan Connolly, who as you mentioned mm-hmm. was playing like a defensive rookie of the year through the first quarter of the season but 
you know, on down through uh, Darius Slayton in round five, um, O'Shane Jimenez. Uh, I just wanted to go back to and mention you brought up Terry McLaurin. I think he might have been the most impressive guy I interviewed during Senior Bowl week last year. Um, I just remember that one very much standing out in my mind. He went up the uh, offseason before his final year at Ohio State, did an internship at Nike. Um, just seemed to have a really good head on his shoulders when I talked to him at the Senior Bowl. Like, seemed like one of those guys that um, I guess I'm not surprised to see him step in and be able to handle all that they've thrown at him as a guy that they've really needed to be at times, you know, sort of their de facto number one in that offense just because of what else they have around him and some injuries and things like that. And I think it doesn't surprise me to see him step up and handle that because he was just. He seemed uh, like one of those guys that shows up to the NFL with the maturity that it takes to uh, succeed in the NFL, and we're kind of seeing that play out. He was he was super impressive. Uh, I think he had a pretty good game at the Senior Bowl too, if I'm remembering yeah. right. But I just remember talking to him and being uh, coming away kind of kind of wowed by just the poise he had in that setting. It's always sort of <laughs> a Senior Bowl interview settings always kind of a. You never know what you're going to get. They just sort of this last year. They just you know brought guys into the like hallway of the giant convention center and you know let the media swarm them for 15, 20 minutes at a time. So it's right. It's definitely not an easy. Uh, it's not an easy environment to to at least pretend that you're comfortable. <laughs> he seemed <laughs> uh, comfortable. He certainly handled it well. So um, well, yeah, and just, he. Uh, it, Sorry, but I mean, the, no, yeah. to back up on your point, I, I mean, players go to the senior bowl every year and help themselves. But I'm not sure, at least in the last, you know, three, four years, we've seen a player help himself as much as Terry McLaurin helped himself. And running a 4 3 at the combine certainly helped as well. But for him to go to Mobile, and I'm almost positive he didn't get his invite until Paris Campbell, his teammate at Ohio State, pulled out. Um, once Campbell pulled out, then McLaurin got his invite to the Senior Bowl, and he took advantage of that in a big way. He looked not only during practice, but in the game, looked outstanding with his routes. Uh, he was known as a big special teams player. I mean, he was going to get drafted, but he was more of a late round guy. Um, you know, last uh, December, January, but going to the Senior Bowl and showing what he did, uh, and then, like you said, the interview process uh, just. The maturity shows uh, so much in that type of setting, uh, especially uh, when you're compared with other seniors there. And then, of course, again, the combine helped running the 4-3. And he was still the 12th receiver drafted. Um, but, you know, I think the Redskins absolutely got uh, a heck of a steal with him. And uh, he went from, I think, a sixth or seventh rounder to, uh, you know, a third rounder in large part because of what he did at Mobile. And so it's uh, it's important for uh seniors who are not locked top 20 picks to to go and compete and show that you know they what they have because it could help them quite a bit as i mentioned you can get uh both those posts from dane on the athletic.com resetting the quarterback prospects uh, and then this ranking the top 10 nfl teams uh getting the most out of the rookie halls uh no <laughs> probably not <laughs> i mean the tj hawkinson that's probably been one of the more uh, unusual things about how this offense, because the offense has been pretty good for them, but they've had a really hard time getting Hawkinson involved on a consistent basis. And I think some of that's just, you know, it, rookie tight ends tend to have a tough time in general mm -hmm. in the NFL, but 
Um, he hasn't come anywhere close to replicating what he did in week one. I think Jelani Tavai, the last two weeks, his snap count's been up, but I wouldn't say he's played particularly well necessarily either week. Um, Will Harris is working into the rotation. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's fair to leave them <laughs> off at the moment, which, um, you know, Lions fans are already getting a little fired up about uh, – the fallout of taking a tight end and not a defensive player in the top 10, but uh, it's always there. Um, so yeah, but yeah, you can check both those posts out uh, from Dane on the athletic.com. As we mentioned, if you want a subscription, don't have one yet, go to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros, get 40% off. And then you can also get access to our uh, Thursday ad free episode of prospects to pros on the uh, athletic app. This episode you can find, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to rate us, review us, let us know what you think. Dane's at DP Brugler on Twitter. I'm at Chris Burke NFL. Uh, and we'll be back Thursday to sort of preview the weekend ahead in mostly college football. Uh, Notre Dame going to Michigan. Got that Wisconsin-Iowa State game we talked about. Um, Auburn-LSU, certainly a huge one. Uh, top 10 matchup there. So some good games on the schedule, and we'll touch on those and and see what else sort of catches our interest here headed into the weekend. So uh, that'll wrap us up again. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to you. Those of you who have subscribed already, we really appreciate it. Couldn't do this without you and, and hope we get a few more of you on board. So uh, for Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. We'll talk to you again Thursday.